I wish you were in this movie, Duff, as like an extra or just wandering around in the background. God, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Shh. Listeners, welcome to another, a special, guys, a special episode of a free podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, joined, as always, by my good friends, Joe and Duff. It's great to be here. Kosher edition. It is great to be here, Joe, isn't it? That's, uh, <laughs> guess we should be happy that we are here. We are healthy. We're recording. Um, we have a special it's like, bonus. It's like Mr. Rogers says, such a good feeling to know you're alive. Mm-hmm. Um, Most of the we time. Are, <laughs> <laughs> we are doing Averages a out. Uh, bonus episode here. We have a Patreon. We have uh, special thanks to Mike out there who uh, asked us to do interesting selection here, guys. The Coen Brothers movie, and I'm sure everyone's thinking like, oh, what could it be if they hadn't read the title of the podcast? Um, a Serious Man. Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, before Maybe we jump- the last movie I would have ever guessed someone would pay $50 to have us talk about. Well, I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just this was, this was a real left field pick. I I, uh, I think this guy did it because I think he was feeling for us is what I think was happening. Because uh, the only note he sent along with it was, it seems like a good contrast to Forrest Gump. Hmm. So... Maybe it's a lifeline for us. <laughs> Take a break from Forrest Gump minute. It is the anti-Gump. I it, will say that. It, it's well, I, well. I don't think we need to do a compare and contrast with uh, Forrest Gump. I refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let, before we jump into this, had you guys seen this movie before us watching it for this episode? I think I saw it the night it came out. Ooh. And, and, uh, Definitely early in the run. So I got to, guys, I, I'm going to try to do my best I can to summarize this movie. But this movie starts off uh, strangely, I guess, or, or differently than the rest of the movie. We have a, a prologue of a, of a Jewish man and his wife way back when. Old country. I don't know. Um, and we can probably talk more about this later. But for now, I'm going to skip over it. Is that all right with you guys? Sure. Okay. The rest of the movie, what we're seeing in A Serious Man is about Larry Gopnik. Takes place in 1967 in Duff Stomping Grounds in Minnesota. Yep. And uh, when we're first introduced to this man, he's doing well, right? He's got a home. He's got a wife. He's got two kids, including his son, who goes to Hebrew school. He's got a job as a physics professor and is up for tenure. Things are going well. The American dream. Yeah. The only thing that's a little strange would be uh, his brother, uh, Larry, lives with them. Or, no, uh, not Arthur. Larry. Arthur. Yeah, Arthur lives with them, uh, played by one of the most blessed gems of TV and film, of screen, if you will. Grade A character actor. Just, it, he's one of those people where if he's in it, I will at least consider it. Like, yep. he... He's been in a lot of bad stuff. Richard Kind, we're talking he about. He is always great. Richard Kind. And uh, this movie's no uh, 
uh, this movie is another example of that. He has uh, his character here has a cyst that he's constantly <laughs> draining. <laughs> Let's wait to talk about the cyst. <laughs> okay, and a strange book that he's constantly writing in and working on. So that's like the strangest, weirdest thing going on, I'd guess, in Larry's life. But then suddenly, in this movie, things start going awry. Um, He's having a property line dispute with his neighbor, Duff. I know you can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Uh, His his aggressively not Jewish neighbor. (laughs) Yes, aggressively not Jewish is a good way to describe that That is the nicest possible way to describe it. (laughs) His uh, wife wants a divorce. um, So she could be, can you believe it, guys? So she could be with Cy Abelman. Cy? (laughs) Cy Abelman? His, his wife's barely cold. Esther, Esther's Esther. barely cold. <laughs> oh, man. First off, I, that is like a very, like, that is a very of its time comment that, like, I remember hearing from, like, my dad and his friends, but, like, referencing someone barely being cold. I've never great. heard that in real life. I've, I've heard that. It's one of the all-time great, like, <laughs> I'm going to start trying to put it in my, in my, like, vocabulary of things I say to people. I hope I don't have to mention it too often. But yeah, if, if I cool. expire prematurely and you guys replace me, I hope you get a lot of angry emails. <laughs> Joe's body's barely cold. <laughs> it's really cold, and we're already moving on. <laughs> um, and we also have a uh, he's a as I mentioned, he's a he's a professor, so a student in his class fails a midterm and <laughs> comes to him about it and tries didn't know, to. He didn't know there'd be math. Yeah, <laughs> Clive. <laughs> Clive. It's the funniest possible name for him too. <laughs> yes, he's a he's a Korean. He's a someone. He's a kid from Korea, um, and a uh, he fails and he tries to bribe. Um, he actually in a pretty clever way, <laughs> I think he tries to to bribe Larry, um, to give him an A. Also, what's happening is someone is writing disparaging letters about him to the tenure committee. <laughs> um, he he ends up, like, his wife essentially tells him, like, you know, you should move out. So he moves into a hotel along with his, his brother with the cyst, Arthur. Um, things just keep going wrong. He gets into a car accident, but... Oddly enough, in a totally different car accident, Cy gets into one and dies... And Larry's wife convinces him to help pay for the funeral costs. <laughs> Cy had enormous respect for Larry. <laughs> uh, Cy is played by uh, Fred Melamed, who you may not you might not recognize by name, but you've seen him. He's another great character actor. He, he looks a lot like a film professor we had too. Oh yeah, Bordwell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I knew him best as he was on uh the netflix show lady dynamite the maria bamford show he okay. pl- he plays her agent in that and okay he's, it, he's hilarious there as well but he he pops up everywhere he's incredible in this movie as well as sigh uh, uh <clears throat> r.i.p sigh um things keep going wrong for Larry his brother as I said Arthur he starts getting in trouble for gambling and then gets charged for solicitation and sodomy <laughs> we don't th- that all happens off screen we don't see that um what's the name of the place again oh the North Dakota the North Dakota yeah <laughs> he uh he, he the other thing that's happening is uh 
this isn't really that going wrong, but um, Larry is kind of lust for his neighbor, Mrs. Sa- Mrs. Samsky, played by Amy Landecker. Guys, big Amy Landecker fan over here, in case you're wondering. Um, you said big, and I was really afraid about where that sentence was going. <laughs> no, I'm just a big fan of her. Um, big time Mrs. Robinson energy from her. Yes. Uh, um, so to get through this, uh, as we mentioned, um, Larry is Jewish, and he starts to visit various rabbis, visits three different ones, kind of moves up the chain in rabbis to really he ha- know. He has to see the manager of the rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it uh, To really know Vale. Uh, also, what's happening is Larry's son, Danny, has his bar mitzvah, which everyone seems really proud of, except Danny is high during it. <laughs> well. In, <laughs> in a delightful sequence. Um, and so I guess we have to talk about the ending of this movie, because the movie ends with essentially Larry, everything's gone wrong. He decides to change the grade of the student, um, Clive, try, decides to change his grade. He also finds out he might end up getting tenure. Things are starting to look up, except minute afterwards, he gets a call from his doctor, and the doctor wants to see him in person to talk about the results of a test. And at the same time that's happening, a tornado is touching <laughs> down, which is approaching his son's Hebrew school. The movie ends. The end. Uh, and I just love the moments in the movie theater when I really enjoy a movie, and it's painfully like you could smell it in the air that everyone else hated it mm-hmm. and this is probably a top 10 one for me because when it just ends after the image of that tornado the negative energy in that movie theater was so thick and rich mm, delish tasted yeah. wonderful Bun- people, people were thought- so mad they're just like what what does it mean and i was like exactly bunch of people <laughs> thought thought they were gonna get a big lebowski type experience well, I, mean, I don't it, think it, anyone it was does. that dumb, but I, I think that it, it's a very, it's, they, you know, every time there's an ambiguous ending like this, it leaves people wanting, many people. I mean, this is this is a weird movie, even by Coen Brothers standards in terms of plot, I think. Yes, yeah. I would agree. But I mean, all their movies sort of have this sort of rambling, I mean, not all of them, but a lot of their movies sort of have this like rambling plot that kind of moves and you have really no idea where it's going. And along with that, you don't really know when or how it ends either. Yeah. Barton Fink is probably the most similar experience with the Coens I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the Big Lebowski thing is interesting because, you know, there is some there is a little bit of Big Lebowski energy, I feel like. You know, there's, like, these side characters that, you know, we have these interactions with that seem almost... Um... His kids' friends are very much uh, Walter and Donnie. <laughs> That's true. The guy who just calls everyone uh, F-words all the time. Yeah. A really aggressive kid. I think Burn After Reading is not a terrible thing to compare this to as well. And and it's something they return to over and over again is man's futile search for meaning where there is none. And yeah, uh, I think this is probably that theme distilled most purely out of all their movies. Like that's the whole point of the movie, I guess. You know, whereas the other ones, it's like Burn After Reading. You come out of that, and the whole point of the movie is like no one knows what's going on. Um, everything is random. Everything is significantly dumber than you think it would be. And and then you know you couple. I think that's the movie they made before this, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then this one kind of follows it up to say like and there's no larger meaning to any of it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a movie I will have to say when I was watching it a few times, I was like, I need to Google what that is because there's a lot of Yiddish use. I think uh, the first eight minutes of this movie are in Yiddish. Again. Um, <laughs> and like uh, kind of going back, there's this prologue, which I don't think means a whole lot in the movie. Maybe you guys disagree, but essentially in the prologue we have – this man, Jewish man, comes home, and he mentions how a guy uh, had helped him, and so he invites that guy over for dinner. Uh, however, though, his wife realizes that that guy that he invited is already dead, so it must be a, a, a dibuck. His body dibuck? is definitely cold. Um, yeah. yeah, which dibuck or whatever it was, which is Yiddish for a spirit, yeah. like an evil spirit. So he comes in and, like, she just stabs this guy with an ice pick, <laughs> and then the man just want like the guy just wanders off with this ice pick, and that's the end of that prologue. So a dibic is a malicious spirit that is the spirit of a dead person, and it supposedly leaves the host body once it has accomplished its goal. Okay, and so the reason she thought he was cursed was because, um. People didn't stay w- with him during his whole shiva, I believe. Um, I think that's just more tone setting in this than anything else. I don't feel like that necessarily connects to Larry's story. Like I, don't, I didn't read it as like, oh, that's Larry's ancestors, and he has to pay for it. Did you guys? Uh, uh, th- no. There, well, two things is that I. Number one, it's not a real folk story. Like the Coens made it up. Like they couldn't find a Jewish. Uh, folktale or parable that perfectly fit what they wanted. They didn't okay. say they didn't say what they wanted, but um, it's kind of the Fargo thing where this is made up, and this kind of goes to my feelings on the movie as a whole. Is I don't either. I'm not smart enough, or because I'm not Jewish, this movie doesn't do as much for me. I like this movie, but it makes me feel dumb. I, well, it's funny you say that, Duff, because when uh, when uh, that's just uh, my we, goy opinion here. We got this request from this. I thought, oh man, this guy who requests this movie is just like, you know what? Rob's dumb. I'm gonna I'm <laughs> I'm gonna request this movie, and he's gonna have to explore larger themes. And Rob's too stupid to do it. And uh, and this will expose how dumb Rob is. And I'm glad, Duff, that you have a similar, uh, not fear, but kind of a takeaway to some extent. Because, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that's about growing up Jewish in Minnesota. And I should have a leg up, but I <laughs> I don't. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the things you do have a leg up on, Duff. You grew up in Minnesota, still live there. Tell us about Embers embers yes of all, of all the things you could ask um embers is um, i know about embers joe do you know about embers do you remember embers no was that em- in milwaukee okay embers is uh kind of like perkins which i think mm-hmm. most of the country has it uh see we were always a perkins family we didn't go to embers oh not an embers family whoa yeah and I you're still control- they still let you up there couldn't control where my parents took me and also there was i think there was an embers somewhat close but there were like a zillion perkins but so embers it's, so it's is, like a family restaurant chain yes it's a yep. family restaurant chain with probably mediocre to not great food but it's cheap and it's kind of homey um we enjoyed baker square more yeah it's in that vein um yeah. 
Uh, but there's a there's the uh, the scene here in a serious man that takes place in Embers. That's why I bring it up. Yep. Uh, and and Sly so says something funny. about like, oh my god, a, it's so funny about like having like, whoa, this is Embers is no place for discussion of legalities. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll agree with. If you if you had to meet with a lawyer, I don't think Embers is the proper spot. Um, okay, so the other the other things I had to ask you, Duff, and I, and these ones I think you're probably too young for because even though I didn't grow up in Minnesota, like we would. Is like, that the Red Owl? Red Owl. I don't remember Red Owl. I remember Red Owl. Red Owl was a grocery chain that was kind of on its way out, but it's but I was. It was around long enough that my mom would take me grocery shopping to the Red Owl, so it must have been around to the mid to late 80s. But it's weird because there's enormous nostalgia for Red Owl, and I think it's just because of the cool logo. Okay. Okay. Um, The other thing I was wondering if you knew is, do you know who Ron Meshbesher is? Oh, Meshbesher and Spence? Hell yeah, I do. (laughs) So uh, to kind of put this into... um into Joe and I's uh, vocabulary. Um, Ron Meshbesher, I think, would be the equivalent of if we watched a movie by the uh, by a filmmaker, Joe, and they referenced um, a Gruber Law Office. One call, that's all. Yeah, it's like it's sort of like the like the big local attorney that had TV ads, right? Yeah. Is that essentially Mesh- okay? Um, yeah, Meshbesher and Spence, they're still around, but they. They were the guys who always advertised during daytime TV. And I can still remember like the awful jingles and commercials. And I just, I remember there was one commercial that ended with like this lady just kind of singing in a very like crooner way, like Mash Basher and Spence. <laughs> okay. So that's awesome. So that, I mean, those are like fun, like very local Minnesota things. I guess three of them. I mean, this is, I mean, this movie is uh, about, not exactly, but it's about growing up Jewish in the Twin Cities suburbs in 1967. And there was a lot of detail that was paid attention to. They went, um, a lot of the movie was shot in St. Louis Park, which is where the Coens grew up. Um, But they had, Obviously, they had to go wherever they could find Rambler houses of that style. So I think Hopkins, uh, some Minneapolis. Um, I know that when uh, Larry is driving down the street and he gets in the accident, that stuff was they actually the movie paid to rehab some uh, stores in St. Paul on Rice Street, I believe. Okay, And so they made it to look like it would be 1960s, but. And also, I think his house uh, was filmed at, like, that whole neighborhood is a neighborhood you're very familiar with, Bloomington. Yes. uh, A lot of stuff was filmed in Bloomington. Um, There's a deleted scene, I think, where they went to the Bloomington Ice Garden uh, hockey arena. So the really interesting thing about uh, St. Louis Park, which is where the Coens are from, is that St. Louis Park has about 40% of all the Jews in the Twin Cities metro area. And the reason for that is because St. Louis Park was, if not the only one of the few cities that allowed Jews to own homes after World War II. Okay. Um, So there's a huge Jewish community. A lot of people from North Minneapolis moved there after the war. Um, So there, and 
to a certain extent still is, but it's a very kind of tight knit community and you have a lot of uh, pretty famous people. You have the Coen brothers. That's where Al Franken is from. Joe Thomas Friedman is from St. Louis Park. Oh boy. <laughs> I didn't say they were good. I just said they were famous. <laughs> I wish Al Franken had a picture of you. You didn't know was taken stuff. Mm. <laughs> he might. Yeah. Um, he got me during one of my car naps, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's circle back to to the end of this movie, or into into what this movie means, because Duff, I came in to rewatch this movie kind of with the same viewpoint you did, where I was like, oh man, I'm not, I don't know a whole lot. Like all I know about, like my most knowledge I have about judaism is because i a friend of ours gave us uh gave my son she was jewish and she gave my son a curious to george hanukkah book that i read and i was like oh i learned a little bit i learned some things i didn't know just so curious george just curious george light, light the house on fire with a menorah because no, like wh- what mischief does he get into i think he just goes to like i think he just goes to someone's house and they're jewish and so he learns about hanukkah through them but isn't the thing that there's always some type of mishap? Or yeah, I don't remember if there was a mishap on this he one. He eats the dreidel or something and yeah, has to have it removed. Um, so I think this is when I think this is a more recent like, oh, Curious George gone good. Um, hmm. Anyways, so I was worried about that, but I will say I did enjoy this viewing a lot more this time. And I also wonder if part of that is just in general for Coen Brothers movies. I don't know if there's a filmmaker filmmakers i guess who movies benefit as much exponentially on rewatches as coen brothers movies i think that's fair i think there's just a lot of them that like i'll watch and like the first like i don't know how many times i've been blown away on my first watch on a coen brothers movie i feel like it kind of happens after multiple watches for me but like i said i am dumb sometimes so i could be it too well, I still I think that's a fair statement. I know that's how Big Lebowski and Fargo were for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with this one, like the one thing I noticed on rewatch is number one, just all the great character actors and minor performances. Because like Larry is kind of the the straight man. Like he has some scenes where he's very funny, but a lot of the time he's just kind of set up for weird people to do their thing yeah i mean everything is just he's just something where everything everything's being put upon him um i guess i I don't feel like i you need to be jewish to really appreciate the movie but i do feel like i would be curious to hear from someone who is jewish and to know if this how much of this rings true or how much of this kind of feels familiar because it but i mean that's you know that's kind of one i think roger ebert said something like you know movies are you know they they bring you new perspectives and worlds and that's it's it's a world that is i like exploring um i don't know if i'm getting everything i'm supposed to though so joe uh why don't you tell us what what like you kind of mentioned earlier but what is your your uh, grasp of what this movie is it's i think it just boils down to laughing at um our need to ask why when bad things happen to us and how so much of like human existence 
goes into these super complicated ways to try to explain why when there is no explanation. Which it even seems the rabbis, uh, at least the second rabbi for sure, is willing to kind of agree to that assessment to some extent of what you just said. Yeah. Um, I think that's a fair reading. I also wonder how, and this is where I wonder, you know, I don't know much about uh, if the Cohen brothers, they're obviously culturally Jewish, but I don't know if they're practicing because some of this I feel like is a critique or a ribbing of obviously Judaism, but maybe organized religion in general. Well, I mean, I, th- I think a little bit like I, I actually have, but I also think it's coming from kind of the thing of, Oh, I can make fun of my sibling all I want, but if you say something, I'm going to, you know, get mad about it kind of way, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, this is, you know, the, we grew up in this and we can poke fun and point out how ridiculous it is, but that's still ours. I mean, there is sort of like, you know, I think I agree with Joe in that. I do think this movie is ultimately about, like, I think that, I don't remember where, but one character at one point just says, accept the mystery. Yeah. Um, look at that parking lot. Look at that parking lot. <laughs> look at that. Look at it. Just look at that parking. lot. I mean, it's just a parking lot. That was Rabbi um, Scott. He loves yes. that parking lot. <laughs> That these people can't help you. No one can. You have to figure it out for yourself. That's the whole point, you know? Like, he's going around trying to find answers from everybody, but no one can explain our suffering, and you just have to find something on your own that helps you get through it. But the uh, So I agree with that. But then the kind of wrinkle is there's obviously something... And knowing the Coens, it could be thrown in there just to screw with people, but it does have to do with kind of karma or retribution, or even maybe being cursed. Who knows? So do you say that because at the end, when he decides to actually be like, all right, I'm going to take the bribe, I'm going to kind of break my moral code, things are going well, and then suddenly, tornado and the doctor. Yeah. And, but we're, I mean, (laughs) and again, I don't have an answer, and it could be just that the Coens are you know, doing that to have fun with people. But everything was going wrong for him before he started doing that too. Yeah. So, so you could also turn it back around and and rewind the movie and say like, it, it it doesn't matter what he does. Or maybe you could look at it. uh, One thing I thought about was the, the notion of uh, Job who was kind of just put through hell on earth just because i believe it was a bet between god and the devil is that Mm -hmm. how the story goes yes but then the other thing i wonder about um biblically is the story of abraham uh and if you notice when he when uh i don't remember oh it would be danny when danny goes in to talk to the really old rabbi what's his name really old rabbi (laughs) he, he walks past a painting of what i believe is abraham about to sacrifice his son because god told him to but then he talks to a rabbi and the rabbi just quotes some jefferson no no but what i'm but what i'm (laughs) saying what i'm saying is that there are i guess easter eggs or subtext about you know doing what god tells you and even if it seems crazy and not questioning it and then i wonder if at the end he failed the last test 
so I will tell you how I've read this movie on this rewatch. And, and I think um, part of this movie like explores every... I do agree with the no one knows anything and we're all just kind of making our own meaning viewing of this. It's just kind of, it's very odd and often entertaining how religion is sometimes thrown in as something to laugh at, but then sometimes something that's very serious. Yeah, that's true. And and maybe, and maybe, and that's why I don't know when you watch it, like, I don't feel like this movie is like a takedown on, on, Jews or anything like that or even religion I just think it might be just sort of like hey like I think the the bar mitzvah scene is an example of that like it was a very meaningful sequence to a lot of people like that everything that happened all the while um, you know the sun is just (laughs) incredibly high and just trying to survive through it and I think like that's kind of that seems to be almost the nuanced view of religion on here we're like yeah it's really important to some people it's also hilarious yeah. You know, on a an absurd on another level. Here's how I read it. I read it, and this is cause part of the movie to me is what happens to Larry is every I don't want to say every, but like a lot of men's fears, right? Your wife leaves you, uh you know for your for your friend. For your friend. I mean, has anybody been cuckolded quite like Larry? No. I mean he <laughs> pays for the he pays for the guy who's bawling his wife's well, there's no there's no evidence that anything oh, yeah. like that no, that occurred. No hanky panky. <laughs> no hanky panky. Hanky panky. Um, you know, but but you know, he's got this neighbor he's having issues with. He's he's being bribed by a kid. <laughs> he can't even deal with that well. He has to move into a hotel. He, he's got financial issues. All those things. Right, his whole life just tumbles apart. But the way I read it, the way I sort of like made me in a weird way like this movie was good for me to watch is that the thing that Larry, at least the Larry we see in this movie is guilty of is he doesn't do anything. He just lets things happen to him. He's rather passive. He's very passive. And you know, his wife, I think hints to that at, at, at one point, but like, think about, you know, think about what we know about him. He's got this really good job. He's a professor, but he's never been published. His wife's around, but not really. I mean, she kind of, he, you ne- we never see him even before the divorce thing happens, which is early, to be fair. But we never see anything that shows that he's anything more than someone who he shares a house with. He's got a nice house, but he also doesn't really take the time to fix and make sure he's fixed the antenna. His his kids are older. Gotta but watch he F really, Troop. Yeah, he has to watch F Troop. His kids are older, and he seems to have sort of checked out. Like, he'll kind of yell about what's going on, but we never actually see him spend time with them. Um, and it's sort of like, to me, I kind of look at this movie, like the way I read this is this is the fear of what happens. And maybe it's because this is a part of my life where I'm at is you sort of growing up, at least as growing up as I can, uh, I can uh, relate to as like a Midwestern male, you sort of have a checklist of things you want to do, right? You want to get a job, you want to find a partner, you want to buy a house and you want to have a family. And, um, I think the fear I have and the fear that like Larry, the fear that brings into me is we all um, are guilty of at least stopping at that point. Right. So Larry did, he did all those things, but then he didn't keep working on it. Right. He didn't, he didn't try to continue to make sure his relationship with his wife was good. He seemed to have checked out once his kids reached a certain age of actually being involved in their lives. His house is nice, but he's, 
you know, too passive to even deal with this property line thing or the antenna that doesn't work. Um, his job he's got is good, but is he particularly great at it? He's not published, so I don't know. He just probably has done it for a long time. And I think when we all, like, this is my reading, and like I said, this is my fear, but we all, like, kind of fall into these routines in our life where, you know, when you're early in a relationship with someone or early into, uh, you know, you just bought your house or you have a new job, you sort of go to bed every night and you think, what could I have done better? How could I improve of what I do? And at a certain age and a certain amount of time, you stop doing that. And then I feel like that to me is like Larry's life is he stopped doing that and everything can quickly slip away. It might have happened anyways, but I feel like he has an active role in some way by being so inactive. That's a fair reading. Do you think he should um, buy a Corvette? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess because at first, I, you know, that's kind of Larry's question, though, is why does this keep happening to me? And I think that and Joe brought that up, too. A lot of people do that. Like, oh, why, why are all these bad things happening to me? And, um, you life, know, outside life of, is cruel and unfair. It is cruel and unfair. Absolutely. Um, but like Larry, instead of really doing much about things, is just sort of like trying to gonna just gonna go try and talk to a rabbi to hope they'll solve it for him. He's looking for someone to solve it to do it for him. Yep. So then if that's the case, then I guess the dentist story is there to present the alternative to what Larry does, where this dentist finds the words in Hebrew, help me, in the back of his patient's teeth and has this sort of existential crisis because of it, trying to find meaning, trying to figure out where it came from, and eventually he just comes to peace with it and just realizes it doesn't matter. And, and he lives forgets his life. about it and lives his life, yeah, and happily. Yeah. And... I, I I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a counter argument or if that is just like ultimately he ended up just having to live his life happily like that's what he had to do it didn't matter what the engravings in the teeth means it doesn't matter why things happen to you what matters is you need to find ways as Joe so, alluded to earlier to live your life in a, happily so by the rules established in this movie or at least the the universe of this movie mm -hmm. did the dentist pass the test that was put in front of him and Larry failed. I guess. I don't know. I mean, the, the, the dentist story could have ended the way Larry's story ended too. Like Larry still has time maybe. And I feel like he was speaking like the fact that he takes the bribe for good or bad. He did something. Well, and why the whole reason he takes the bribe is to help somebody. It's to help yeah. Arthur. Yeah. And the whole reason that he, like, it, and th it's because of uh, a legal bill from Eshbesher, which, <laughs> <laughs> which is to, was meant, to, which he accrues to help his brother. So, mm -hmm. so then I, I, how does that complicate this? Because he doesn't, he doesn't do the wrong thing at the end to, he does the wrong thing at the end because he did the right thing. And he did do which, something. So it's all just messy. And maybe that's the point. Again, like part of this, I do feel like a lot of times the Cohen's goal is just to f with people in a way. Uh, so I I don't know if that's going on here. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like when I when I once I kind of 
just let myself fall into the movie and stopped worrying about trying to find meaning in it, which is kind of, as Joe mentioned, is the point of the movie. It becomes a very enjoyable film. Oh, that it, said, it's, it's very, it's a short, easy watch. It's got a lot of humor in it. It tenses up though, right? Like as this stuff keeps happening, you, you know, the, it does build up tension. It's a, it's a black comedy. Yes. And, and and the people that don't like their movies because they think that they're so mean to their characters and they're, it's nihilistic and all of that, I, I think it's just so silly and it kind of betrays how stupid the person is because the whole point of the movie is that religion, uh, all, all these things we turn to for answers can't give you th- those answers. So if your entire uh, outlook as a filmmaker and as an artist and they return to that again and again. If that's your outlook, then obviously you're also not going to say movies are going to have answers. And and I think that's what the ending of this movie is. Is it it builds up to this crescendo of like there these answers are not going to be found in a book. It's not going to be found at your church or your temple. It's not going to be found anywhere. And then here comes this tornado to tell you, oh yeah, the movies aren't going to have the answers for you either. And that's what I think the ending means. Is it's a kind of a period on the end of this statement saying the the only meaning that you're ever going to find is meaning that you produce on your own. And this movie isn't going to make it for you either. Here comes a yeah. tornado. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I like that. That said, if someone watched this movie and was like, I didn't like it, I wouldn't be upset about it. I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. I can understand someone going into a movie to see this and be like, this is not what I look for in movies. And that's totally fair yeah. in my mind. Baby brains. That's, it's, it's, it's people, it's not, not everyone wants to be challenged when they go see a movie, Joe. That's fine. <laughs> Is it, Joe? Yeah. Um, but why are you going questions. to see this one, you idiot? What did you think it was going to be? To be fair, like I could see someone be like, hey, these are, it's the guys that did True Grit, which was like, oh, sorry, that was after this. But it could be like, you know, oh, they guys is Big Lebowski. Yeah, Big Lebowski or Fargo or No Country for Old Men, and even by those standards, like this one is like, huh, what? I yeah. I don't I don't think this movie is any more difficult than No Country for Old Men is, especially if we were talking about like unsatisfying the endings that hold that force you to look at the the bleak nothingness you know surrounding us. Yeah, uh, but I I feel like this one is more 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 meta i guess is a way of saying it i don't know um hmm. yeah i think this is i think i would i would agree i think this is one of the more difficult Conan brothers movies yeah i think that's a good way to put it um i have some questions for you guys mm-hmm. um in this movie uh many characters and this happens in other movies too will talk to larry and be like oh give you know how's judy give judy my love or whatever <laughs> do you do this when you talk to your friends no you mean like I, tell, I don't tell give someone my love or well no like like okay so let's say you're talking to a friend of yours would I'll, you I'll say tell so and so I said hi if would you say like how's your wife uh um, yeah actually I guess I do do that yeah I, don't, I do sometimes at least I don't think to do that a lot guys it's because no. you don't care <laughs> or significant other I maybe I'm too busy talking about myself yeah I mean like you it doesn't seem at all out of the ordinary like you you've never asked someone like oh how's so-and-so how's or tell so-and-so i said hi i i will if i know there's like if they're dying or something yeah yeah (laughs) 
Shaleel. So the o- the only time you can extend beyond the person you're talking to is if like, oh, their wife's died of cancer. <laughs> Listen, I was just wondering what you guys thought. Now you made me realize that I'm uh, in the wrong. Um, I have some other questions for you guys. Did you? I I for a long time growing up, my house had a TV antenna. We didn't have satellite or cable. Um, did you guys have uh, an antenna like up on your roof? Yeah. Uh, we did not. In California, did, we did. Did you guys refer to it as an aerial? No. Me neither. That was such a bizarre term for that. But everyone called it an aerial. Um, here's how here's how privileged my life has been. I I cannot remember not having cable growing up. Boy, look at you. <laughs> Which is weird because my parents were like very cheap in other ways, but they shelled out for cable. Uh, in this movie... Larry's son Danny is often listening to music in class. Did you guys, when you were students, ever do anything secretive in class like this that you can think of? Once in a while, I would cheat off someone. <laughs> I one time had someone cheat off of me, but my handwriting was so bad it was asking about like what happened to a character, and I was like, "Oh, he he fell off his horse," and he looked at it, and it was on a book he hadn't read, and he wrote, "He fell off his house." <laughs> Oh, the uh, the sh- some of the lesser, uh, let's call them, not educationally uh, skilled kids who we would call the shop kids, uh, they would uh, put vodka into Mountain Dew bottles <laughs> and sip on that <laughs> during class. <laughs> like having... with the Mountain Dew? Huh? With the Mountain Dew in there still? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we got to maintain the color. Well, well, it's the, a green bottle. Yeah, the yeah. green. You can you can pretty much put anything in there as long as it's not brown. Yeah, I guess, but you don't want to make it too obvious. I, I remember in when I was in high school, uh, putting games on your graphing calculator was a big thing. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, drug wars. Uh, oh, yeah. Tetris. Super Mario mm-hmm. was on there too. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you guys. I I didn't really warn you of this, so it might be difficult, but. No, you can only name three. There's no no going back and forth. But what are your three favorite Coen Brothers movies? I think I have two right off the bat. Fargo, Big Lebowski. Okay. And say Barton Fink. Okay. All right. Um, Joe, are you ready or do you want me to go next? Uh, you can go. Uh, Raising Arizona. Fargo. And the third one is tough, but... Ultimately, I'm going to go with uh, Big Lebowski for my third one. Okay, my favorite by far is Miller's Crossing. Uh, okay. and I, it would probably be one of my, possibly maybe one of my five favorite movies, period. Um, and then I would say Fargo and then The Big Lebowski would be my third. But right. I, I at least... The only movie by them that I don't like is Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, yes. I don't really remember Intolerable Cruelty, but even like The Lady Killers is a pretty good time. Inside Lewin Davis is the only movie where I think it doesn't have anything worth seeing in it. Of their, their The their... internet would be very upset about oh, the Oh, the internet loves Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, I think that there's been, it's come back, I don't know. I, I think it's not I, quite as widely praised amongst the nerds as you think, but uh, I haven't I, I haven't seen the the clapback to it yet. But 
I just remember like watching. I'm like, am I watching a different movie than everyone else? This dude sucks. <laughs> uh, either way, I think we can all agree they are. They have an amazing filmography. Yes, um, perhaps each, second and, to none. And each of their movies is wildly different than any of the others. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. They definitely take chances, yet still have a style that you can tell. Oh, it's Coen Brothers. Oh, I thought of one more question. Were okay. you guys in the Columbia Record Club? Yeah, I was. that was one of the last two things I wanted to bring up because I wonder how much people younger than us would understand that because it was still around when we were kids. The, the most absurd, dumb thing ever. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember seeing it. I remember like loving the idea of getting it, but we never got it. Oh, I got it. <laughs> oh, I, yes. Tell us about it. Your experience. Uh, so, well, actually, my um, the too long didn't read version. My experience with it was okay, but for anyone even like five years younger, like I remember once I explained this to someone at my office who was like thirty years old, and it made me feel like just a withered husk of a person. <laughs> <laughs> but Columbia you had Rec- just woken up for a, from a car nap. Yeah. Now some zoomers asking you about a record yeah, club. I had a lo- I had a long bushy beard. <laughs> Um, so Columbia Record Club was um, as we see in this movie it was originally a record club Um, by the time we were of age for this and say late 80s into the 90s it was CDs or cassettes Mm -hmm. and you'd always get this thing in the mail that said you can get it was nine to twelve albums for a penny a piece, and then and the best part was you could cut out the little CDs and then and then tape them on like the like the six you wanted to get to start or whatever. That yep. was what I loved the most as a kid. Yep, you'd, or yeah, you like it was like stamps, like you'd lick them and yeah. paste them on. Like yep. these are the crazy. ones I so, so yeah, oh cool, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. and it was always like the most like. Uh, mall music store selection yeah you're definitely going to see the aerosmith album with cow otters on it i the name of that escapes me get a grip grip, get a a grip grip. you're definitely going to see cow otter you're definitely going to see the red hot chili peppers album with um blood sex magic yep you're definitely going to see blood sex magic on there tragic kingdom yep Yep. no Uh, doubt no doubt uh, no doubt will be on there uh the chronic will be there Mm -hmm. so it was by green day Yep. Yep. So it was so the way you did is they you know, it was kind of a, a bait and switch almost in that you would get you would get the twelve free albums, but then each month, um and I can't remember the specifics, I think they would send you something and if you didn't send it back within a certain amount of time then it was like, oh, now we're going to send you the new Hootie and the Blowfish CD. And they would and cost like $30. It something. would be the, the the manufacturer's suggested retail price of like $25 plus shipping. So you, if you missed that piece of mail, then all of a sudden Hootie showed <laughs> up. If you house. didn't do anything, but I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, Larry. Um, as, as I recall, there were some shenanigans where they would mislead you. And it was one of those situations where it was very, like the mafia, is very hard to, to quit the Columbia Record House Club. Um, <laughs> what if the mafia ever had their fingers in the Columbia Records? I, uh, you know what? I would not be surprised. It would be very profitable. I, I would watch a documentary about it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, yeah, I would like an oral history of the people who came up with that and how they just kind of 
kept scamming people, so they had to pay $20 for a CD every month. <laughs> uh, do you guys have anything else on this the, movie? The other thing I wanted to bring up was my love for Michael Stuhlbarg, who yes. is the star of this movie, and I, I think it delivers one of the great performances uh, of the last 15, 20 years or so. Like, he absolutely... He's in almost every single scene in this movie, and it, it's ridiculously impressive how much work he does to make this movie work. And I've always really loved him. I think he's a great actor, and I think that this movie um, really is a showcase performance, and I wish he would have gotten more recognition, recognition for it. Like, you just watch his face. Like There's all these scenes where he's just being absolutely abused by people. Just watch his eyebrows. It's, it's like, wild. Like, all of these yeah. little subtle changes in his facial expression. And I also love how he channels the Midwestern um, aversion to being touched so well. Because <laughs> yeah. Psy, like, always wants to, like, hold his hands and hug him and stuff. And he... I love Psy so much. In this <laughs> Psy is great. And uh, he just perfectly captures that that uh that midwestern cold aversion to physical intimacy also it's a shame i mean i agree that he not only accolades she got i mean i think he was nominated for a lot of things but i mean why has he not been in a leading role since then you know like he's well he's not carries this movie he's but he's not handsome enough to get kind of leading man roles yeah i mean i know i mean i know the answer he's he's not a marquee name and he's, no. so he's already got that working against him. He, uh, it's, but he has been in gotten still, despite that gotten to be in a lot of really cool things. Uh, he was in the shape of water. He's yep. good in that. He's really, he's name. great in uh boardwalk empire mm-hmm. as a, sure. as a gambler. Um, the guy who fixed the, uh, uh, the black Sox series, right? Arnold right. Rothstein. That was his name. Yes. Or right. who may have, I, I don't know if that was ever proven, but. Are you afraid they're going to come after us, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> the representatives of the Black Sox. <laughs> um, do you guys have anything else to add about uh, about a serious man? Uh, one thing we said we were going to touch on but didn't is the disgusting nature of Arthur's cyst. Oh, his cyst in the machine. Oh god! Like I I know Sebastian's cyst can come in any size, but the fact that he needs this pump. It's just like the it's one of those things where you don't see it, but it's just oh, like just imagining the sound of it. Oh, God, it's like it's like before you see the shark and jaws, it makes it all the more terrifying. The more the, <laughs> the thing that, that bugs me even more about it as I was watching this yesterday is realizing that if that this would have taken place in, you know, 2018 or something like that. He could have put it all on YouTube and gotten like a million views because there's this cater of sickos that loves to watch things get drained. Doctor Pimple Popper. Uh, I I find that revolting, and I d- demand anyone who likes that kind of thing stop listening to our show. You don't deserve uh, it. Wait and review us first. <laughs> on uh... well, you just you just lo- you just lost my wife who's one of our most loyal listeners. Uh, Way to go. I think my wife. How is Carrie doing, Duff? <laughs> I think my wife uh, also likes, also she, watches that stuff. She tried she, to make me watch stuff. And how's Susie, Joe? Uh, she's not allowed to listen to the show anymore. Well, if she even but, does, uh, I doubt she does. Carrie, but Carrie is a big fan of uh, the Dr. Pimple Popper oh, show. Why? I don't understand. 
I it's mean, disgusting. I, it is just there's I don't know. Like I get it. Uh, sometimes explain it to me. It's much like this movie. It's kind of like the absurdity and horror, but you can't turn away. It's it's and it like, has no meaning. Yeah, it's like oh, bodies are so gross and disgusting. Yeah, and I, look, I agree with that. Look, I don't want to see them. But but look what they do. They're amazing. These are examples of it not working, but kind of working <laughs> because they the body finds a way, man. Yeah, I, yes. I, I totally understand how you're not uh, into the Doctor Pimple Popper scene, but I am, f- I am fascinated by the body horror. Well, we try to be democratic, so are you guys going to outvote me, and these people can still listen? They can still listen. Duff, Ro- Rob, I mean, it's, I'm grossed out by it. It's, I totally understand. I mean, sometimes there are times like, oh, gross. That was that was a lot of pus. I can, I can watch and play the most violent stuff imaginable but if like this goes back to forever but if you like flip through the channels and you go to one of the channels where like we're seeing like a surgery i i got it like i'll pass out i gotta turn it off as soon as i can because the idea <laughs> of like watching someone like it's like stomach opened up as they're digging around like no way no <laughs> way so you wouldn't Duff. like Duff's favorite uh, plastic surgery disaster show, no. whatever that's called? Uh, no, botched. I can't deal with it. <laughs> I can't deal with Man, it. Man, yeah, um, botched is in a similar vein to uh, Doctor Pimple Popper, uh, where people who have—I'm <laughs> not even joking about this. Usually, it's people who've gotten the cheapest plastic surgery they can find in Mexico, and it goes horribly wrong. Then they go and try to have it fixed by these actual good doctors. It is the the trashiest of trash TV, and I, I love it. Hey, anything else about a single man? I was, a serious. Si- oh, Jesus. Serious. Anything about? He a almost was a single man. man. He's a serious man. Kind of is a single man, I guess. Yeah, you're right. We're on his way. Well, I want to thank uh, I want to thank uh, Mike for uh, doing the fifty dollar Patreon level, so we could talk about this. Thank I really you enjoyed for the cash. It. I hope we made it worth your money, but. If we didn't, no refunds. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at a free podcast. We also have a Facebook group called Freeloaders. You can go to that by going to a freepodcast.com slash freeloaders. We also you can rate and review us, and as we've mentioned, this episode occurred because of a Patreon. And uh, you can go to patreon.com because of listeners like you. Because of listeners like supporters like you. Uh, so, yeah, uh, patreon.com slash the Midnight Boys. And uh, we will be back. We have more content coming up soon. That's all I can really say. <laughs>